Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the APW podcast. This time Chris talks to Paul Draper about amplifiers, guitars, the endless search for Mike Prees, recording with Manson and more recently in the kitchen, and how his solo album Spooky Action from a Distance was nearly recorded over with an episode of Match of the Day. This was recorded shortly before embarking on his current tour. Hello and welcome to the APW. I'm here with the wonderful Paul Draper, who uh, has been doing a few session tracks with us today. Spooky Action, your new album, which was released uh, 11th of August, is that correct? Yeah, Just something gone. like that. Yeah. Um, am I right in thinking the majority of the tracks nearly didn't make it to, <laughs> to the light of day, if you know what I mean? Did they? Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's a long story to Spooky Action and me finally becoming a solo artist because when uh, I left Manson in 2003, mm. I went over and lived in uh, Monaco for a while doing a record with Skin from Skunk and Anson. Oh, yeah. And then I came back and we had so many unreleased Manson tracks. I mean, literally 30 maybe, and I put together a box set of them. And mm. suddenly, two years of my time had gone by, you know. And then the head of Parlophone, Miles, would call me in regularly, you know, have you got your demos for the album? You got your demos, you know. And it was like, it was the age of the strokes and this, that, and the other. And I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel I, I was a, re- I had a solo artist in me. And I had my studio in Acton by that point yeah. in my production room. So I got all the songs that I'd been working on for the the um, spooky action of the noughties version, which never mm. happened. And I archived them all off my, you know, Pro Tools rig and, and put them on a load of uh, DVDRs, you know, and, mm. and and forgot about them, put them on my caddy with all my other CDs and forgot about them. And then I, uh, you know, did writing and producing work and I ran my studio pretty much as a, conver- you know, a commercial venture. And then I'd produced an album there that had got a bit of critical acclaim and got nominated for the Welsh Music Prize and mm. won something in the Prog Awards and stuff and then that's when people started saying to me, oh you know this, are you ever going to do this solo album? You know, this is probably about four years ago or something like that and um, so when it sort of dawned on me that I, I wasn't going to produce another album for another artist but I was actually going to produce my old album that I never finished I went looking for my you know, uh, <laughs> DVDRs, <laughs> and my uh, studio engineer Ben. Mm. I'm like Ben. Have you seen my, uh, uh, you know, by uh, you know my uh, spindle? Yeah, my spindle with all my DVD uh, DVDRs on it, and you know I've, I've back- backed everything up. And, and he's like, mm, yeah, no, I just took some blank ones home just to I wanted to record match of the day. <laughs> he goes, but I, he goes, I I couldn't do it. They were. D- DVDRs and not RWs. W, yeah, I go right. So you, you can't record. Yeah, that's quite handy that Ben because my entire album <laughs> that I started <laughs> is back. All the Pro Tools sessions are backed up on it. He's like, oh, okay, I'll bring it back. So about mm. six months later, he managed to bring it back, and we unarchived it and went back and found our 2005 Pro Tools sessions wow. that we'd abandoned and they were still there. But if them. Um, if I'd have archived it on DVDRWs, it would it have just been, been a Tottenham versus Arsenal game because I know he's a gooner, so <laughs> so it survived. Obviously, you've done producing before, but actually producing yourself and going over your old stuff were you quite harsh on yourself? No, I mean, I, first thing I would say when I first did it, I have not been like a frontman or a vocalist for a long time. Although I'd been carrying on working in music, running my studio, writing, producing for other artists, mm. 
I just sort of disappeared as a you know a performer if if you like. And I couldn't get my head around it how I was going to do it. I knew I would have to produce it. Well, mm. We didn't have any budget to bring in someone else, so I'd have to do it and listen it back to it. A lot of head scratching and, and started working out what tracks I wanted on it and what were together. And um, the way I looked at it was this is a project from the past that mm. I had, um, and, and I'm all of my role in this is the producer. Okay. So and so I'm going to produce the, the, the previous me from some other time ago and then just sing on it at the end and see if i can get my head around that the singing bit was the weirdest thing to do yeah but i have to say i did have a great team and a great ears if anyone's done production even if you're in the role of the producer you know or you know you you get the production credit you know you want a team of people around you who can Mm. just say that lyric's not great, or you need to do that vocal again, you know, and it's better. So, so I, I've got um, perspective as a yeah. A I mean, I, I, I'm always seeking uh, people's thoughts on you know, I'll run off a monitor mix and I have a trusted mm. circle. Yeah, I'll send, what about this track? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's good. That and, that and and then it's like I'll send it to a certain group of people go, that chorus lyric isn't good enough, or mm. your, your voice is too Tony Adley, you know, what nothing <laughs> wrong. With Tony, yeah, with Tony. massive fan, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Love loads of early Spandau stuff, but I just want to sound like Johnny Rotten. But I end up sounding a bit Tony Adler sometimes. But and um, so yeah, you know, I've got my, <clears throat> I can police the music, mm. but I fi- um, that's my difficult thing is policing my own voice. Mm. You know, I can get the perfor- it, it, it's the it, the character of the voice. Yeah. Which character am I in this? And everyone says to me, oh, just do your whispery voice. Like, eh, everyone likes that one, just do the whisper. And then, <laughs> but I end up like, oh, you know, and, it all, and it's, oh, no, pull it back, man, pull it back. And I, I, I've got this mental block where I think if I sing harder and louder, then you try and harder, but it, it's actually not the case sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's one of my big things. That, like, like, literally, at one point when I was in the studio, I built a coolometer. And it was just a needle on it, like that was just a cardboard box with a needle. Right. <laughs> we would just, you know, from red, and we'd just move the needle, you know, and just. So that's it. You just, you just have to have an inbuilt quality control. Mm. Um, but when you're doing your own stuff, it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. So I did get a lot, lot of people, I trusted circles mm. and opinions. And even then, we were working to a deadline in the end. and... You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've made half a dozen commercial albums and, re- and released them or more, but I would not, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't lie in bed and not sleeping at night yeah, once yeah. it's done. Whereas I did, you know, listen back to like Attack of the Great Lightning or Six, the first Manson albums, it's like, ah, you know, I want to edit that there. And you just, you, you have to abandon it. It's yeah, like, you have to it's let like, go. So, and, and, and they, they, you know, the formats back then meant you had to let it go. Yeah, mm. I mean, you know, it's like the, um, you know, when I listen to uh, Spooky Action now, I'm like, oh, I should have changed that lyric. You know, that lyric's going to change. That's that's there. Oh, I should have put that track on. I should have put that track on the EP. It's better than that one. And so that one, it's like, it, it, it will kill you, chew you up, because you, you have to give everything to it. I mean, yeah. I, I when I finished my album, I, you know, I had nine months' worth of unopened mail, you know, and it's like, right. I just, it, it, the album and nothing, you know, mm. it's like, it, it just consumes. And then work. you lose perspective. I had a rhythm section with me, and I got a guest, uh, Catherine, who was the anchoress, to come in and play piano on one or two, two songs. But 
you know, I played the instruments myself, essentially, yeah. and sang it. So I got no problem sitting and messing around and, and editing the, the instruments, the guitars, and getting them the way I want to sound them and stuff like that. Mm. But the vocal, you know, I'm, I'm not a, f a fan of my own vocal, if you like. I think it's too okay. thin. I would like to, you know... Like, I'll get that every now and again in a track, you know, yeah. but it's... Uh, I would disagree with you on that. I, I, think, I think your vocal's great. But but I think the other thing people do forget is you do obviously know your equipment and that, and um, and guitars as well. I'm just trying to think, I, I've, we were touching on this earlier, uh, off, obviously off mic and off camera, but I can remember Chad having, you know two amps you ran two amps like an ac30 and a blues breaker yes. and you were running like a marshall i had a marshall stack to start with but I, was it know, a 900 uh, at the time? back in really early I, on. I, yeah really early on yeah and then i moved on to i think a jtm 45 yeah and I, you know i'm i'm over my marshall stage now are you a fender yeah yeah towards the end of manson i moved on to a basement a four by ten oh, right okay basement cool. Uh, that but still running Les Pauls. Yeah, I, I went. I went, got my Les Pauls by the second album, six. I was on stage. I was playing a Rickenbacker three two five. Ah, okay. Uh, and I had to abandon that because it just kept feeding back too much. Right. Okay. Um, you so know. what? Back to the Les Pauls again. Yeah, I think Les Pauls was my stock thing, but I, I, you know, you get bored of gear. It's nothing wrong with the the gear. Yeah. I got a great sound out of my Les Paul and my mm. Marshall back in the day, and it was like, you know, it gives a real rock edge, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the, you know, but because I'm listening, the, the nineties were the nine hundreds to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, know I mean? but it was, you know, listening back to our um, because we're curating the whole of the Manson catalogue now, so we're, we're literally in EMI's archive digitizing everything and there's just so many demos and outtakes and mm. listening to my guitar sounds and, and i'm just thinking oh god of course i used to go to this rock club called the tiv in buckley in north wales every saturday and like listen to metallica and pearl jam and <laughs> you know you know pop will eat itself and like you know a lot of you know nirvana and, and of course that's you know that's where manson come from that that f and i'm still doing it now but on my acoustic i'll just slide an f around you know anyway yeah. there's an easy way out of that it's an easy <laughs> cop out of that but yeah, it's um, yeah that was that was my starting point, and the, the um, my Marshall and Les Paul combo, you know. But yeah. uh, I moved away from it, you know. So I've, what have you? What, what did you move to on Spooky Action for that stuff? Okay, now Spooky Action, there was a lot of guitars and amp combos used on that, hmm. and I'll tell you what amps were used. Uh, I use a 90s AC30 mm -hmm. um, I have which is a good sounding one mm. I have a uh, you can if you listen to the record like say you, you take the first track don't poke the bear on the chorus where the big guitar comes in mm -hmm. that throaty boxy sound yeah that's my AC30 okay. wow okay um, but where I'm doing the little funky riff... Did you fun go to a Strat? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I actually I actually played it on... Uh, I, see, that was done on... That that riff was my AC30 and a 60s Epiphone Riviera. Oh, OK. Which I was going to sell mm. until I plugged it in and realised, wow, I just sound like 
Brian Wilson or the Beach Boys, mm. like when I play this machine, it's like mm. so I, I can't ever get rid of it. That one, although I did sell my vintage casino, Epiphone Casino, I've just bought a um, one of the John Lennon reissues because mm. I want to take it out on the road with me, yeah, uh, and play it live. And my, my old 67 casino was too rickety. Uh, what other amps did you have on the album? Okay, so in terms of the amps, the yeah, when I went for like the funky thing, I would flip over to my uh, Fender Twin. Mm-hmm. Um, and just use a bit of a spring reverb in, mm. in the amp so you can hear that. Uh, in addition to that, we used a lot of Fender Deluxe, Fender mm-hmm. Deluxe reverb. I've got one of them because John Lennon, man, that was he moved over to yeah. that for the White Album, a bit of Revolver action on there, and that's a great album. It, that's a great amplifier. Some people think of it as like a cheap twin, but it's not. It's, no. it, it's not an AC30. And it's not a twin to me. AC30 and a twin, they're just different worlds. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. Deluxe is somewhere in the middle. middle. And then my fourth amp that I've used is a, is a 4 by 10 you know, Fender Basement, which has mm-hmm. got some... Is balls. that what you're using on the, on the road? No, on the road, uh, we I took out uh, a Blackstar amp, actually. Oh, I took, okay, out, cool. took out a Blackstar. I mean, I spoke to the guys at Blackstar, and they're like, do you want to try this amp? Mm. It's the artisan amp, and I tried it. I've seen they're great. They're great with supporting people. Brilliant, like, yeah. yeah. And they were like, we'll, we'll, we'll get this. I was like, this sounds great. And like, so what did you use to kind of merge the tone and get the tone right uh, I, for headwise? What, did you, what li- Blackstar did you go for? Um, it was uh, Artisan 30 amp yeah. combo. And literally, I uh, plugged it in in the rehearsals, got a sound that was vaguely overdriven, and that was it. It was literally plug in and You're doing a lot of pedal pushing? No, I didn't even have one pedal for my tour. Really? So it was... um, Wow. Although we, we've just made our live album, Tuna, you would have hoped. Yeah, we've just. We, 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 I, did, I, I got Tuna. Yeah, yeah, I got Tuna. <laughs> that didn't work sometimes. But we've we've just we recorded our show at the Scala, mm. and um, we're going to sell that on the February March tour mm-hmm. vinyl. We're going to sell it in vinyl. It's quite controversial with the Manson fans, so we're we're, we're going to release it as like you know digital or all like that yeah, as well. Yeah. But we just thought it'd be like a memento to start with. So you can hear we're generating quite a lot of sounds, but I was playing a lot of acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. So I was f- say half of my set is acoustic guitar, yeah. and then I'm flipping to, and I was playing a USA Fender Special Run uh, 72 Tele Deluxe, which is new, about two years old. Yeah, And I love it. It just sounds like, you know, that you're in... James Brown's band around 1972. <laughs> you could be able to sly in the family's <laughs> It's such an amazing guitar. Um, um, but yeah, so 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 live. I used the Black Star, but we'd we'd got in with Black Star, and they'd mm. said to me, "Come and try this amp out. You'll really like it." That was sort of post the album, mm. so it's not on the album as such. Um, but but I, I'm using that as as my live okay. uh, that, my live thing. So that's so that's my broad. Mm. Um, um, spectrum of amps that I'm using, and I will, ch- you know, use different ones in different parts of songs. Yeah. But I've also got a Vibrachamp, a Fender oh, Vibrachamp, yeah, yeah. amazing little mm. amp. Absolutely love that. That's great. When did you move? When did you start Kitchen Studios? Okay, the Kitchen was my studio. I started in 2008. Mm-hmm. After Manson split in 2003, there was a. I went all day for a bit, and then you know, and uh, I did a couple of. I was working over in Monaco with Skin doing her solo album, mm-hmm. Fake Chemical State, and then came back and we had about 30 Manson unreleased tracks that I put together in a box set, mm. um, and then that took me up to a, that took a couple of years to do that. 
and then I started demoing Spooky Action at home, and that was that was messing around with that for about six months. And after that, I'd um, gone up to meet an old friend of mine, Hugh Padgham, record producer. You know, you've yeah. talked about before, <laughs> Hugh, and uh, and uh, he he was owning uh, Stanley House in Acton, which is a famous old uh, production facility with thirteen rooms in there. And he's like, "Get a room in here, man!" And it was like. You know, I, I, I really, I just, it just fancied it. I'm a gearhead. I'm a studio yeah. head, and it was like, I want this, and yeah. then, and then it, it, it grew into a more of a commercial facility where we, we had, like we were listening to uh, Savages before. I mean, I remember them being in, and uh, Pixie Lot was in, and um, who else did we have? So a nice variety. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. It was all, it was all mm. major label stuff. Was it? Know, was so. the studio built around a console originally? No, 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 no. My, my, um, I, my, my setup, if you want to call it the kitchen, has moved. Started off in Chester, yeah, and and eventually ended up in a kitchen in Stanley House. That's what yeah. like call the kitchen, but you know it, it's not very portable because it, part of it's a piano and like <laughs> it takes five people and a van to move it, you know. Yeah. But um, it, uh, at the kitchen, we I started off originally with a very small TLA audio tube desk, just as the uh, and prior to that I had a Mackie 32 into 8 oh, but right, I, okay, I, well. I, I only used it for monitoring essentially yeah, you know, yeah. it was, um, and uh, actually actually, I, 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 a lot of the mixes for Manson's Kleptomania or all the unreleased tapes, I mean we, we didn't do mixes as such but we just brought the tracks up and I mixed them on the Mackie with Mike Hunter um, who was Manson's old engineer and um, you know we just, just showed you where the tapes where we left them you know when mm. the band split up and um, and so I, I I did do some mixing on that Mackie thirty two into eight and I, I got some good work out of it. But I moved over then to the small TLA tube desk because I've got a lot of external mic pre's. Um, so being a nerd myself, what have you, what have you got in the studio? Oh man, so see this is it. You see now in the kitchen we can record a full drum kit. But what after after the TLA yeah. I realised I I was I'm, I'm a mic pre freak. So um, <laughs> it's an easy thing to do. It's, uh, and <laughs> it's, it's very easy. Yeah, it's man. very expensive. Yeah. It's expensive, man. And the, but them days when you sit there like you know, A B and a an API five one two and a Neve ten seventy three. Oh, I can't decide, man. It's like you know, it's like, <laughs> people think you're mad. You're not but, mad at all. Uh, no, yeah. So so um, so eventually, um, I'm, I I bought an, basically a Neve eighty eight sixteen as mm -hmm. my uh, you know the hub of my studio if you like it's not a yeah. desk as such it's a, a lot, summing uh, mixer yeah it's a summing mixer so, mm. so I moved to not having a board at all but a summing mixer a Neve summing mixer but I could still record mm. because my entire studio is patched into two bantam racks mm -hmm. um, so we basically had I had um Two focus rights in a is it with a four two eight the stereo one with the four band EQ which yes. was sold a few years ago. Like I think it's the four two eight ISA four two eight, which was the best one. Yes, because that was the Rupert Neve. Yeah, the the one he designed from yeah. the desk, the first one. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. The, the blue and the yellow one, and that was my workhorse for years. I loved that. Yeah. Uh, then I had an Avalon seven three seven with a compressor on it, like the the big hip hop. Mm -hmm. but all the hip hop guys use it in '87, the Neumann U87, and um, and then I started getting into my lunchbox gear. So mm. I've, I've got a pair of API 512s, uh, which are great. I've yeah. Like, because I'm a massive Prince fan, so he recorded all his 
uh, do his greatest albums on an API desk at Sunset Sound yeah, in LA. Absolutely, so yeah. well, I've got my Oberheim OB6 synth, the Dave Smith reissue, yeah. plugged into my api pre's and mm. I, i'm there man i'm 1999 <laughs> you know it's like it's, it's like living out a fantasy i uh i did i don't think people realize as soon as paul came in we were just talking lots of studio stuff before and one of the questions i asked was i love your snare sound on this oh, new on, album. The, on the new album what yeah. did you do Okay, right. I'm, I, I'm talking about Prince. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, yeah, you know, it's like I'm, I'm a recording artist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like if you're gonna if you're gonna put it that way, I'm not a singer songwriter, and I'm I, you know, and I'm not a record producer. But I, from a very early age, I've just been into the whole recording process. Mm. So, I'm, like, I'm obsessed with detail and things like this. Mm. So, when you get a Manson record, we'd spend like two days getting like replicating <laughs> a snare drum sound from a David Bowie record in yeah, 1972. Yeah. And the A&R men would just be coming in in despair, and it's like, you know, no artist would do this. And it's yeah. like, well, it's 20 years on, and I'm like, you know, still doing it, still, still doing good. it. So, and <laughs> you know, uh, so you, and think, I'll argue with anyone that it is. If you're a recording artist, I love, I love hearing that the stuff. gear. Most people, uh, you know, and I, and I this told me loads of time. A real artist will just come out of you and just use the gear that's there. Why? I want to use old gear for youngs. Go, I mean, mm. we got we got so much mad gear, and so anyway, yeah. So, being a huge fan of Prince, I love uh, the uh, snare drum off an LM1 drum machine you know i mean yeah. uh, it's my all-time favorite snare sound mm. so i've um i have a great sample of a detuned lm1 and i just stick that under the uh, under um on you know using slate trigger yeah you know and uh, that you know that's one of my things i'll have mm. a like a like a, 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 a drum tracks, a sequential circuits drum tracks, boomy kick, but I think it's mixed with like a bit of an 808 kick. Because we've mm. got we've got like a you know a, a boomy kick, but sometimes we'll put like an NS10 sub yeah. on on the front, and you get mm. very similar results. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so but but yeah, I, the, I, I would say my entirety of my solo album has a Lin LM1 just sitting. Under the snare, I think mm. uh, I'd probably say every track, and it just you know it's just I don't know that's just my I'm just living out my boyhood fantasy. You know, <laughs> I've got a Lin drum machine on every track, and nobody <laughs> knows, nobody knows. This um, is, you know, it'd be my dream to. I had, I had a Lin drum machine, but but not the LM one, and it, you know it wasn't as good. But um, I'm loving. My, I'm working on my second album now. And I'm working a lot with the sequential circuits drum tracks, which is just phenomenal. You know, mm. if you look, listen to all them great Depeche Mode record violate, yeah, yeah. you know, peak mode. Mm. You know, that you know that's just, great stuff. Yeah. So. Okay, taking you back a little bit here. So. Oh, I didn't uh, tell you all about my mic priest. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah, okay, go, on, so, go on. So I've got. Um, yeah, so I've got. So I've got my. I got. I got a couple of ten seventy threes Neves, mm. which are beautiful. You know, it said does what it says on the tin. They're, yeah. they're beautiful clear at the top. Yeah. Beautiful bottom end. Mm-hmm. You got your API. I love the punch, the upper, yeah. the upper middle thing, and the, the, those Prince records. Just you can tell they're on an API. They're beautiful. Killer. Absolutely killer. Um, you know, if you listen to a Kate Bush record, they're beautifully done and all like that. But my I, I, I've got a um, a Chandler Valve Red Mike Pre, mm-hmm. the original Abbey Road Valve Pre's that they had on the red desks, which is just phenomenal. The character mm. of it is phenomenal, and um, I mean, I, I I did a vocal and sort of A B'd it with the Neve one. It's like, oh my god, you know, it's like a 
you know, I've just, I haven't put everything through this red <laughs> mic pre now, you know, even, you know, and, um, and I've also got a couple of TG, uh, TG twos or is it TG ones, which is the, uh, the, the, t- the, the latter day Abbey Road desk, the TG desk that the Beatles recorded Abbey Road on and then Dark Side of the Moon was mm. done on. I've got two channels of yeah. that, which is phenomenal. The EQ on it is just phenomenal. And um, so I, you know, I, I use them a lot. The way I would describe them is the bottom end is beautiful, like a knee, yeah. probably even fuller. The top end's fuzzier, it's mm-hmm. not, not as clear as a knee. Yeah. But in, because, the digital world that's a beautiful positive yeah so if you listen to abbey row which i think is one of the greatest sounding records of all time mm. that's the sound of a tg mike priest yeah. that i think so so that's my full collection really and I, i've also got the um i've got another mike pre which is connected into i've got the 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 red mic the the which is the u valve 47 mm. um uh, reissue that the Chandler Abbey Road have just done, and that and that again is with a, a red mm. mic pre built built in. It's like proprietary with it. So I've got a couple couple of them, and it's um, so my my collection of mic pre's is nice. Although I'm after a couple of Telefunken V seventy sixes. That's that's you know next, I keep, next that, little yeah. Play. I, you just never stop with this stuff. No. It's like because when I get that, then it's like okay, now I can sound like the Stones. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, that that's next on my list. I think a mm. couple of couple of old telephone compris. Yeah. So taking you back, and I, th- I think from what I can remember, with six, um, that was a pr- as a Manson album. That was pretty much the band in recording live in the studio. You said it was Olympic, is that right? With Spike. Yeah. yeah. I co-produced it with Mark Stent, Spike. Yeah. He's obviously one of the world's biggest mixers and, mm. and produced some great albums, you know, produced Oasis, one of the Oasis albums and that stuff. And um, my brief going into that was, we want to make, we want to make a guitar record. Uh, yeah. But with, you know, Can you, with um, a twist. Yeah. Where did you, because obviously going from like, yeah, I want to make a guitar record. So how did... How what can you remember a lot about the recording of Attack? Yeah, uh, uh, where where was that? The, the first album, Attack, or six, the second one, Attack. Okay, the first one, Attack the Great Lantern, we did at Par Street. That was Par Street. Yeah, in Liverpool. Yeah. And um, it's weird because we're listening through. <laughs> it just there's listen. a lot of production on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. think it works so well. I, you know, yeah. you know, Manson died. You know the last couple of albums being fed through the music industry system and batted one way or another, and I just think, why didn't you just send us back to Parsley? Yeah, and we just would have give you another one of them albums, but you know, mm. it's like you're at the behest of of the record companies and stuff. Was was the album built up of lots of little EPs? Was that was we, that we, right, or we, was it recorded? Yeah, and written no. We, what happened is, I think over an eighteen month period from when we signed to Parlophone until the album coming out. We were on tour supporting people, and when we were on tour, we were in the studio, and I had a yeah. lot of songs then, a lot of songs. Yeah. And I got a good songwriting role with Wide Open Space, Disgusting, Naked Twister, uh, Manson's Early Love Song, um, Dark Mavis. Technically, the first half, that's really interesting. Mm. And I'd add part of the Chad Who Loved Me, the, the, the like... Was Spike on some of that? Uh, Spike mixed Wide Open Space, yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, so we were talking about who was producing. We, 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 <laughs> we were talking about the, you know the what the had to, had a DB on the chorus on the master fader oh, right, while okay. it's going to half inch. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a lot of that going. There's loads of that on Fleetwood Mac records here in the seventies. <laughs> you know, to, 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 <laughs> but I mean, you know, you can automate it. So all who now, was but, producing then? I mean, it was me and Ronnie Stone. Really, okay. Ronnie Stone was um, the engineer who engineered for Gil Norton. So he done. Oh, okay. Uh, he engineered a lot of the, oh, I think maybe all three of the first Pixies albums, mm. Surfer Rosa and, and uh, Doolittle and all that. And then I think he'd done a lot of the Smiths records as well. Mm. Like the, I, Ron, I remember Ronnie telling me he'd um, sitting in a sitting in a booth in Par Street with uh, Johnny Mars AC30, right, trying to time that you know from how soon is that? And it and of course he was time in the tremolo on the AC30 and then stop, rewind the tape, drop it in. and that was just wow. blasting out in his ear. It's like only one of the greatest guitar tones in yeah. the history of guitar music, you know what I mean? <laughs> so Ronnie was great to us really, he was really my mentor and, and um, he took me under his wing and uh, you know, he saw I was like a studio person, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. we just got right into it man, we just dragged the Leslie out of there and it's, it's easy because the, the first Manson EP now is being reissued on vinyl, you know, mm. and it's like the fans have collected them and that. And listening back to them, it's very naive, and you can see our musical journey from being just uh, rock, you know, to yeah, yeah. to Attack of the Great Lantern over 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 that eighteen month period. And Attack was like wasn't live in the studio; it was all layered and that sort was the of, approach of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say again, that's my Prince influence in that. You know, mm. I, I knew how he worked. You know, start with a click, put put yeah. drums down, build it, layer it. You know, mm. so it's very very much a studio-based album. Although, you know, like the hidden track, the lyrical train spot, uh, we did that in a, you know, just do, do, we we played that as bands, mm. you know. But then I would overdub a lot and edit a lot, yeah, and try things out. Like we're just going through the tapes now for the uh, for the box set, which is going to be announced in February or, or of Attack mm. of the Great Lantern. And there's, there's a hip hop version of Dark Mavis. I was. Oh wow! <laughs> <With me. laughs> and, and then stripper vicar in a Cockney accent. It's oh my like, god! Like, I'm gonna have to check this out. And then there's um, there's a track. There was a. But I'm not saying the name of the engineer, hmm. but he was. Um, we we were in one day, and Ronnie was there, and we were different with a different engineer, and we'd had a B side called Rebel Without a Quilt. Okay. And um, I'd recorded it. Uh, very, you know, Bacharach esque style, you know, just laid back with like a little drum machine mm. and me on piano and that. And, uh, and, and, and it was on the tape. And then I recorded a different version, a more rocky version that went out as a was on, on one of the EPs. Mm. And we only ever kept the A side from the EPs to go on the album, you know. So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's masses of Manson material, there's like a hundred and odd songs, you know. Wow. All the, a lot of the fans know, but if you don't know, it's like there's a lot to sift through in these, these reissues mm. they're doing and stuff, and on Spotify and what have you. So, I was with this engineer, and he said, uh, I said, I've got this new song, and, he, and he's like, Okay, well, um, I'll, I'll just record over this then. I'm like, No, no, don't, don't record over it. He goes, he goes, Honestly, no one will be interested in it. It's just this early version of Rebel Without a Quilt. And I was like, Right, well, can you just record it onto a DAT before we did? You know, put it onto a DAT like that. Mm. And then we recorded, we recorded Wide Open Space over it on the tape. Right, and, okay. that, you know, so it's <laughs> Ampex 456. But we, because we archived it on the DAT, 20 years later, we are now putting that on this thing that doesn't exist anywhere, only on this one dat, as a 
a completely different drum machine and piano version of Rebel Without a Quilt, which now we're all going, that's amazing. They should have been on the album. Yeah. And no one's ever heard it. That's amazing. That's so good. Um, yeah, we've got Disgusting with different vocal takes, and, and we've got big jam sessions of us doing like jazz odysseys with the sax play. <laughs> just, just that. It was a crazy times, you know, and it was, it was a great album to make that, you know, and... Um, and uh, but we put a lot through a lot of songs at that and really picked it out because obviously it had like a vague conceptual mm. thing to it, but it was yeah. like a com- com- comedy concept album. So keep keeping some sort of narrative in it and getting the best songs together was, was difficult. And I think we wasted a lot of good songs on on the EPs, mm. but we got there in the end and knocked the Spice Girls and Blur off number one. So yeah, you know. absolutely. And we're still um, talking about it now, so it can't have been all that bad, you know. No. Uh, spooky Action Tour coming up in the new year. What are the dates? I'm playing. Uh, starts on the 19th of February, which is the... Basically, it's a week after the 21st anniversary of Grey Lantern. And you're doing something special for that, I hear. Yeah, yeah. So um, we had to wait for a lo- load of legal issues, man. As Paul McCartney said, hey, you got really heavy towards the end of the Beatles. I just <laughs> got a bit heavy towards the end of Manson. So finally, you know, this yeah. it's all been resolved and all the old band members signed off on it and all like that, which I was stunned. I thought some of them wouldn't even do it. And um, so, yeah, they're, 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 they're doing a, f- a real fantastic box set of 5.1 mix of Attack of the Grey Lantern, uh, BBC sessions, all these outtakes I'm talking about. Mm. Um, we've got concert footage and all sorts of stuff in a box set. That's coming out, and, and obviously we'll do it properly on vinyl, on 180 yeah, yeah. gram vinyl. Because you're, big you're, demand you're playing the whole of Attack for this tour? Yeah. So, what's so, the, so, so what we did is we finally got that through. So I, I, I don't want to go out and just be a nostalgia act or be Manson yeah, yeah. anymore. I mean, I'm still mates with the drummer Andy. You know, ish like, but so we could go out as Manson, you know, if we wanted to. But I, I don't, I genuinely don't want to. It's you know, it's there, it's done, it's boxed mm. off. Um, and so I'm going to go on and do my set of spooky action, play for an hour or so. Which I, I love the album. It sounds really thanks, great. Thanks, yeah, yeah, thank, really, really you know, good. thanks a lot. And um, I mean, even if you're not a fan of Manson or mine, you can check it out on Spotify these days, which is mm. great. You know what I mean? So I'm picking up like new people who are getting into it. And we did the first tour September, and that sold out. And this tour's looking like loads of the dates are going to sell out. And it's um, we're playing the Brixton Electric in London. It was, it was a big place. So we're going to do the, the my full solo show, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to come off. We're not going to have sport at and then I'm going to come off and for the 21st anniversary of and we're just going to play it from start to finish amazing so I won't you know soil my solo set by throwing Manson stuff because I did a couple of Manson tracks I did Disgusting and I can only disappoint you off Little Kicks in, yeah. in my last tour but I won't this time so mm. I'm just going to do my my own whole solo act which is a bit like I, I started off with three B-sides on the last tour from, from my solo EPs yeah you know, to, to, to anything to be obtuse, but uh, yeah. So this time, so, so I'm doing that, and then, uh, and instead of doing an encore or doing, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play Attack of the Great Lantern as the encore. Brilliant. And uh, and and then the, you know, the the people will will be able to hear my solo stuff and that, and then they can they can do their reissue things mm-hmm. things. So that's my way of moving forward. That's great. That's superb, and I think the fans are gonna absolutely love it and embrace yeah. all of it. You know, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I think fans will come from either angle. I think there's a yeah. lot of people who are just coming to see me do my spooky action thing, and they'll get that on the tagged on the end of it. Mm. I think there's a, and a big thing for me is to reconnect with Manson. It had such a massive fan base, mm. and is reconnecting with people because I want them to come see my, hear my solo yeah. stuff now. You know, so Absolutely. it's um, it's 
Yeah, it, I don't want to be a nostalgia thing, so I'm doing my new album, and Good. that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm just doing Attack of the Grey Lantern as the encore. Yeah. So we don't, you know, we haven't heavily marketed it, like you yeah, know, yeah. but. Um, um, you know, it's, it's still it's still my gig, but it'll be a, it'll be a good treat for people. Mm. You know, I, I think um, watching that and then being able to buy it on vinyl because I know the vinyl's been going up for like 160, 180 quid. You know, and it's, oh, wow. so we want to get that reissued so people can get it at a reasonable price. You mm. know, it's um, and um, so yeah, we we've got a lot a lot of stuff moving forward. You know, mm-hmm. um, re- regarding representing the man's stuff, I'm moving forward with my solo career, so I'm busy. That's great, Paul. It's really good to hear. And thank you ever so much. For no, thanks for having me in. It's been brilliant. Thanks for listening. And to see more of what we're up to, go to youtube.com forward slash the APW and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>